All right, Veritas, it's good to be together again, and um, thanks for coming. It's fun to see, start seeing students come back and trickle in. We are a church that loves college students. We can't wait over the next couple of few weeks as more students uh, come to town, and uh, we welcome those of you joining us online. And uh, there are sermon notes on the website, all the lyrics to the songs, all the uh, sermon notes are on veritascommunity.org, and you can, you can find those. There are a few things going on in our world, isn't there? Uh, I have great news for you this morning, church. There is great news in our passage. If, you're, if you have a Bible, open to 1 John chapter 5. This is our second to last week in the book of John. Next week, Jeff is going to be closing us out at the end of chapter 5, and we are starting in verse 4. John says this, Everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Four times here he uses this word victory. This is where Nike gets their word from this Greek word. Uh, it, to, to conquer, to have victory. And my first question, there's three questions as we go through uh, I'm just going to ask, what does victory over the world mean? How do we get this victory? And I want to know what this victory looks like in real life. Okay, so those are my questions. As we go through, look, look four times he talks about victory. What, is world, what does victory over the world mean? In chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Hey, don't love the world or anything in the world. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes, the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. In chapter 5, verse 19, he explains that the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Jeff's going to teach on that next week. Here's what John is saying as we, as we navigate our way through this world as followers of Jesus Christ, that our war is not a culture war. Our war is not a war on viruses or against terrorists or nations against nation. The war is against Satan's worldwide system of deception and wickedness. That's what John is saying. Like we're, we're living in a world where there's an evil one that sort of rules over this world. Deceiving, stealing, killing, destroying. So the first question, what does victory over the world mean? Here's the point. Christians have victory over Satan, sin, and death. Christians have victory over Satan, sin, and death. Church, do you realize this this morning? Do you realize this? That this is our situation. My dad said he was listening to, uh, I think it was Chuck Swindoll, uh, great preacher and he was talking about this kind of this same point he's actually talking about chapter five and and uh this this picture of like some of you guys watch nature shows and you see the you, you know it's like there were some some pigs like walking along the uh on the on this uh kind of a swampy area where there's a lot of snakes these massive humongous snakes and and it's like you you kind of you watch this 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 pig just kind of walking along the beach and you see these snakes coming and you're you're watching and you're like no 
there's bad people in there, right? And, and you, you want to shout at the TV screen and say, say, hey, be aware of the pythons in the swamp. Like, if you're walking through this world and you're ignorant of the reality of our situation, John wants us to know who the enemy is. It's not your spouse. It's not your child. It's not your roommate. It's not that person who's not doing this or that person who's voting like this or that person who believes this. No. The enemy is Satan. And we look into our own hearts and we see this war going on for our own souls. This is how John describes the problem of the world. And now in verse 4, he says, he tells us how to get victory over the world. He says, verse 4, this is the victory that has conquered the world. Two words, our faith. Our faith is how we get victory over the world. And he he elaborates, verse 5, who is the one who conquers the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. How do we get this victory this morning? Victory comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is going to be the main subject of this section in John. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. We hear this word a lot, faith. The world says, you just, even the world says it's like, you just got to have faith. You just got to believe. You know, this, there's a lot going on and in the world and they've got an election coming up. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Some of you are fighting some suffering and trials and, and you say, hey, just, you just got to believe that you're going to get through this cancer. You just got to believe and have faith that we're going to get through this pandemic. You have to have faith. It's all going to work out. Is that true? Is that true? Well, it depends, doesn't it? John doesn't say the one who believes conquers. What does he say? He says the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, conquers. Now, this may seem like a small thing, but here's, if you're taking notes, I want to clarify with the statement, it's, it's not your faith in your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith that saves you. It's not your faith in your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith that, that saves you. Let me explain this. Do you guys remember... Uh, bungee jumping. I think that that kind of when I was like in the 90s, we started to see bungee jump. Has, has anyone done bungee jumping? Like for real? Raise your hand. Okay, there's some people who have bungee jumped before. This is amazing. I think it's still a thing because I looked this up and the, the highest commercial spot in the world that you can jump from is in South Africa. It's called Blucherns Bridge. It's over 708 feet and it's one of the tallest bridges, I think, in all of Africa. I got butterflies in my stomach just looking at the picture, okay? Now, I want you to imagine this. What if the instructor, uh, you, you go to this bridge and you walk out and you're looking down at this, in this massive gorge. And the instructor takes out like 
a little rubber band, that, the kind that you find in like your grandma's house where it's like so brittle, if you barely stretch it, it like snaps, it breaks. Uh, this really old rubber band and ties a bunch of them together and like ties it around your ankle. And then you're standing on the ledge looking at all these rubber bands tied together. And the instructor says, you're going to survive. You just got to have faith. Is your faith going to save you? No. Your faith is going to kill you if you jump. Because at that point, you're not trusting the rubber bands. You're just trusting your faith. Like, well, I know the rubber band's not going to hold me, but I just got to have faith. Faith does not save you. That's such a a trite thing to say. Like, we just got to believe. We just got to have faith. John is saying, it's faith in that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus Christ is Lord. And he elaborates in verse 6. He says, Jesus Christ is, He is the one who came by water and blood. Not by water only, but by water and by blood. I think John is saying the water represents baptism. The blood represents his crucifixion. John's point here is that this is the historical Jesus that I witnessed with my own eyes. I was there and I saw him, how he begins the whole letter of 1 John, the things we have witnessed with our own eyes, heard with our ears. And he goes on and he said, and the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. Now, I think John is is explaining something that, that Jesus says in John chapter 16, remember, right? Before Jesus is about to leave this earth, he instructs the disciples. He says, after me will come one, this counselor. John 16, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. Jesus is telling us that there's no human wisdom that can draw another human being even a millimeter closer to God. There's nothing you can say that will convince your unbelieving spouse or child or friend to come to know Jesus. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in them. Jesus says this in John 6, 44, no one comes to the Father unless the Father draws him. If you are a Christian this morning, it is because it's a total miracle. It is a work of God in you. This work that John explains of the Spirit testifying, speaking through the announcement of the good news, the gospel. Even now, as the good news about Jesus is announced to you, the Holy Spirit is here speaking to you and saying, this is the truth. In verse 7, he says, there are three that testify. The spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. We know the Holy Spirit spoke. And at the baptism of Jesus, this is my son 
my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. The, the Spirit certainly testified in the baptism, in the crucifixion of Jesus. But even now, uh, one commentator, this, this makes sense to me. He says, it's also likely that John here is talking about us even today as we witness baptisms, as we participate in the Lord's Supper in communion. The Holy Spirit is present with us, reminding us of these objective historical facts, and they testify to the truth. Remember in Luke chapter 22 when Jesus says, when you do this, when you take communion, you do this in remembrance of me. The Holy Spirit, as we take communion, reminds us this is the object of your faith. And he goes on in verse 9, and if we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that he's given about his son. The one who believes in the son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. So if you reject Jesus, John is saying, what, what you're saying about God is he is a liar. I will never forget this. When I was in high school, we had a, a Holocaust survivor come speak to our class. And he told us the whole story. And he was a kid and he had this tattoo. He still had the tattoo, the numbers on his arm. And he said, there are always students who come up to me afterwards or tell me that the Holocaust never happened. And I remember just thinking, how is that possible? But there are people that just don't believe that the Holocaust happened. And his life is a testimony of the historical fact of the Holocaust. And yet people don't believe. So the person who says, yeah, that never happened, what you're doing is you're just, you're calling that guy a liar. Now, does that person's unbelief change the historical facts? Does it change the truth? No. It just is calling this guy a liar. And that's sort of what John is saying. The object of our faith, fellow Christians, is the finished work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ came, was crucified on a cross, was buried in Joseph's tomb, was raised on the third day. When we gather for Easter, we are celebrating the empty tomb. The witnesses that saw Jesus Christ raised from the dead. That is the object of our faith. Verse 11, and so now this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in the Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. 
John wants us to know that we have eternal life. He wants us to know that we have victory. John wants us to know that we can look any kind of suffering or persecution or trials right in the face and not fear. We have victory. We have conquered the world. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. So it's, it's this simple this morning. Do you have Jesus Christ? God has given us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. The one who has the Son has life. Here's a problem that I've found for myself, and, and it, I know it's got to be true for, for many of you, but do any of you struggle with your faith? Do any of you struggle with doubt? Do any of you struggle with believing that this is true? And some of you might be thinking, I'm afraid because I don't know if I have enough faith to really be a Christian. Like a lot of times my faith is weak and I don't, like I feel like a very weak Christian. I have great news for you. Uh, this, this second sort of point of clarification about faith. It's not the amount of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith that saves you. It's not the amount of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith that saves you. Here's what I mean. Remember the bungee jumping illustration. Now, let's say that you and I go to this, this Blue Crans Bridge in South Africa. We're staring down. And, okay, this time the instructor doesn't attach rubber bands. He attaches the real bungee cord, right? And so the instructor... We're both tied, and, and we've seen other people jump before us. And we're like, wow, we, we know that this works, right? And, and this, uh, this instructor, this guy or gal is saying to us, oh, yeah, um, we've, we've, we've never lost anybody. Uh, this, this cord will definitely hold you. You're good. And so we've get, both got this bungee cord attached to us. Now, let's say that you, you are one of those people who... Uh, you're just like a no-fear person. And so you're just like, let's go, Mark. We got this. Let's jump on the count of three. We're going to jump. And you've got a ton of faith. But me, I've got like almost no faith at all. I'm terrified to jump. I'm scared to jump. When we, when the countdown. It's three, two, one, and we both jump. Listen, does it matter how much faith either of us have at that point? Does it matter that you believe a lot in the bungee cord and I be believe a little in the bungee cord? Does the amount of our faith protect us in that, in that moment? No! As we're both diving and you're like, Woo! And I'm screaming in terror. Does it even matter at that point? No! Because it's the bungee cord that's holding us. 
And as we walk through these trials and tribulations, some of you are like, ah, pandemic, whatever. <laughs> and others of you are terrified and with all that's going on in the world and what are we going to do when November 3rd comes and the world's in turmoil. Some of us are terrified. Others are like, ah, this is going to be great. See what God does. Listen, here's some serious encouragement for those of you that have just tiny faith and you're terrified. Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you trust him and you have transferred your trust to him, you will be saved. Now, there are many people that have the kind of faith and they are standing not even, they're, they're so bold as to come out to the ledge and they, they sit by in a chair and they watch all the people jumping and they sit there and give commentary and they sit there and say, oh yeah, that bungee cord will totally save you and I, I totally believe, I have faith that that could do it and you're like, oh wow, so how many times have you jumped? And you're like, oh I've never jumped. I just sit here and, like, I totally believe that. Some of you treat Jesus like that. You know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Just like that person watching that has never actually transferred their trust. You know all about Jesus. You have sat there in that chair your whole life as you watched other people go for it. And you may even encourage people, oh, you should try Jesus. You should do it. But you yourself stand there. And you have never transferred your trust to Jesus Christ. Because transferring your trust from Jesus would mean turning away from trusting yourself. Trusting that little chair that you're sitting in, you're safe comfortable little life. I'm inviting you this morning to trust Jesus Christ. In John 16, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Same word here, overcome, Nike, that John uses. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Faith is not intellectually knowing that Jesus could save you. I'm asking this morning, have you transferred your trust to him? So, as we conclude, this is my last shot at teaching First John because next week Jeff's going to close us out. And I want to end with just some thoughts as I've been preparing this week and, and kind of reflecting on the whole book of First John and the message we've been getting all summer as we've walked through this. He closes with this idea of faith. But we know that this faith is, has action to it. This faith works itself out in love, like Mikey talked about last week. 
if you say you love God, but you don't love your brother, you don't love people, it maybe your faith isn't real, right? So John has been challenging us, and he's talking about this faith that saves us. And uh, I've been reading this book uh, that Jake from Cedar Rapids uh, uh, got me into, and we actually talked about it at this week's roundtable uh, with Jeff and Jake. And uh, there's this, this, this passage in there at this, this uh, is on the early church and how uh, the people 1,800 years ago, the, the Christian community handled suffering and trials. And uh, the book is called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And in 256 AD, there was a pandemic that terrified North Africa, killing countless peoples. And Christians were this tiny, marginalized, oppressed community. They were violently treated and they were killed, often killed by their neighbors. And the world seemed out of control. It kind of seemed like 2020, but it was 256. And into this, one of the church fathers, Cyprian, wrote these words. He said, beloved brethren, we are philosophers, but not in words but in deeds. We exhibit our wisdom, not by our dress, but by the truth. We know virtues by their practice rather than through boasting of them. Now listen. We do not speak great things, but we live them. I'm worried that in our culture, we speak great things, we post great things, but we don't live them. And Cyprian is saying, hey, Christian, we don't need to be worry about posting all the right things and speaking all the right things. We need to be concerned about living the right things and seeing this faith in Jesus Christ Live out in action. And so my question as we close is, what does all this conquering and victory over the world look like in real life? Show me a picture of this. Well, I've got great news. I, I have a picture of this because uh, my dad was telling me this story. And uh, I could give you a bunch of application points, but a picture is worth a thousand words. And I want to show you a picture it's on the sermon notes. So if you go to veritascommunity.org and you click on the, uh, the lyrics and notes and then you click on sermon, you're going to see a couple pictures. And the picture that I want you to see if you're online, good news, it's just going to come up. And you can see this picture now. Um, this is the picture of what this conquering and victory looks like in real life. This is a picture of... Chris Havacost, Chris and her husband, Miles, and their daughter, Emily. This is in about 1981. Miles and Chris Havacost were foster parents. And they were doing respite for uh, people, uh, children with... Uh, serious needs. And so they got a call for this little girl, Emily. 
She was six weeks old. She was born without a brain, actually just the brain stem, and instead of uh, the brain forming, a cyst formed. She was only supposed to live days, maybe weeks. What you see here in this picture is Emily, 38 years later. Chris, now with her in her last days. I called Miles, uh, these are family friends, and I I said, Miles, I, I heard the story from my dad. Can you just tell me the story because this is so amazing. And he started to choke up and he began to cry and he said, it's a hard story for me to tell. But he talked about getting this, this beautiful little girl at, at just six weeks old. And through their love for Emily, modeling the love of Jesus to the most vulnerable, suffering child. He talked about every, he said, Emily never got a bed sore. Because every 20 minutes of her life, we, we moved her and we cared for her. Um, they also had two other children, Mickey and Matt, who also joined in to help. But Miles told me the story of how countless people came to know Jesus through Emmy's life. He would share the gospel with everyone who had come to see her and even... Emily's biological mother just a few years ago came to know Jesus along with her two children. Emily's life was a powerful witness. Well, in March, she was nearing the end and they were trying to get her into a hospital. This is early March and just it's like God was shutting every door and they couldn't figure out why. Well, of course, now we know why. Uh, with COVID, they, they would not have gotten to be with her. And so they ended up uh, figuring out how to get hospice in, in their home. And so at the end, at the very end, uh, Chris woke up at 2 a.m. And, and she just knew, as, as, as only a mother could know, something was not right with Emmy. And so so she came out, and sure enough, Emmy was coming down to her last hours. And so the whole family gathered, and they just spent the next few hours praying, worshiping. And Emmy's sister, Mickey, had gotten her this album, uh, one of Lauren Daigle's albums. And, and Emmy loved to worship. And I still remember this as a kid. When Emmy would be in the worship service, she would just, like, moan and, like, cry and like she's trying to worship with all of us and they would have to, they would have to like take her out because you know she's a distraction but to us it was I, I remember as a kid like what who's screaming what's going on but it was Emmy worshiping she loved Jesus so much and in these last hours they played as this this album played the last song the last track on the album was turn your eyes upon Jesus and as it got to the chorus turn your eyes upon Jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory 
and grace. And as that chorus ended, she opened her eyes wide. And she looked around the room at all of them. And then she looked up at the ceiling and her eyes got so wide. And then she passed. And Matt, I was talking to him over Facebook. He said it was the holiest moment of his entire life. Conquering faith often happens in the most unlikely places, doesn't it? This, to me, that picture of Chris looking at her daughter, Emily, is a picture to me of what John means when he says, our faith conquers the world. Emmy's life There may have been accidental parents, but there are no accidental children. And Jesus Christ had a purpose for her life that she led so many people to Christ. And what did Emmy see when she stepped into eternity? If you know Jesus Christ like she did, you're about to find out. And we have nothing to fear. And I hope that Emmy's faith will encourage you. I hope that Chris and Miles' faith and Matt and Mickey will inspire you to do something crazy, right? Like, it was so fun talking to Miles because I sort of live with this, this, I I think uh, it's kind of a, I would say, guilt. I don't know if it's like holy love that drives me or just guilt, but... Uh, Leith and I, we went through the foster care class, and we're foster. We have our license, and, and I was telling Miles, it's like, it's so hard because we get these calls. And Miles said, oh, no, 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 Mark. Mark, don't feel guilty. Like, don't feel like you need to do this. He said, he said Chris is gifted in service. She's gifted to do this, and you, you don't need to feel guilty about this. You should feel freedom to serve because God has called you. And as I look out on this church, I just think, What a beautiful picture, like this church, everyone with different gifts. Like I could never do what some of you do, and you couldn't do what I do, but it's beautiful because we're just this picture of a body that as we all come together in faith and, and as we spread out and we just live out love in all these different areas of our lives, how beautiful is it? And I just want to say, Veritas, let's go just do some crazy things. Let's just go, like, let's jump. Let's trust Jesus. And some of you, some of you are going to, like, we're going to be telling your story 38 years from now because you took a risk and made a sacrifice. And it's the people who do that that have those moments that they had at the end of seeing the conquering faith of their daughter, Emily, as we trust Jesus Veritas. I I can't wait to see what God's going to do.
I cannot wait to see what God has for us. Let's pray together. Jesus, it's this simple, and thank you for making it this simple. Thank you for making it as so simple that any child here in this that's listening can understand this. The person who has Jesus Christ has life. Some of you may, may be here this morning and, and you don't know if you've ever trusted Jesus. You're not sure if you've transferred your trust to Jesus Christ. And John says here, hey, the whole point of what I'm writing is I want you to know that you have eternal life. So I want you to know this morning. And I want to encourage you. Would you just say yes to Jesus? This morning, would you just, you can remember this day. Is it Sunday, August 9th? Out in a field in the middle of Iowa. You said yes to Jesus. He said, I, I no longer want to watch. I no longer want to sit in my chair and watch other people trust Jesus. This morning, I am turning from my sin. I'm turning from my self-reliance. And I am trusting Jesus Christ, the Son of God, this morning. It's that simple. Just say yes to Jesus. If Emmy can trust Jesus, so can you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Yes, Lord, Holy Spirit, come and testify that Jesus is the way, the truth, 